Welcome to episode 266 of the Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky, stepping in for James Langer this week. And as always, joining me is Ryan Top and Paul Noonan. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Fantastic. I had a non-stressful Packer game for the first time in like three years. So, <laughs> hooray. Uh, I missed a bunch of the first half yesterday, dropping my sister and her two kids, three and six, off at uh, O'Hare. But did catch uh, a lot of the game, uh, especially on the radio. Been a while since I listened to a Packers game on the radio, and who boy, uh, that's uh, it's not what it used to be on there. No, no, it's not. It's really not. It's I think not. they're getting to the point where, like, if they can win a, a Super Bowl, uh, you know, they can ride off into the sunset. Larry and, and Wayne can ride off like uh, like Jim and Max did, like just I, say sayonara and head out the door. Yeah, like Wayne Larravee is like, you know, a pro's pro, but he is just kind of generic caller to a large extent. I've never really liked the dagger. It's very fake. It's not in the moment at all. And Larry just saying, wow, I'm sick of. I mean, it's fun. (laughs) It's fun for a couple seasons, but I don't need to hear it anymore. Well, he has gone full Ron Santo in the late years. Yeah, he really has. Yeah. Yeah, because he just starts yelling stuff out during the game. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) What are you? Like, no, it's intercepted. No, it's intercepted. And you're like, yes, yes, Larry, it's intercepted. And then Wade is like still trying to call the game. And he's not as crisp as he used to be. Like, and that's expected as somebody yeah. would get older. Like, it's not the crisp call that it, it used to be. And that's we've seen that with Bob Euchre for, oh, yeah. for years now. Like, it's just absolutely it's part of the deal of having an aging. You get the legend. So you get that thing. But you're going to lose something in the call. And that's, you know, part of the deal. But um, yeah, let me tell you. Uh, you guys both have youngish children, and uh, having uh, a three and a six year old around the house for three days, uh, I have a new appreciation for the level of energy that that just like drains right out of your oh, body. Yeah. So, it does. It does. Yeah. Also, really quick on the plus side, we don't have to listen to Paul Allen actually call our games, uh, so could be worse. We do have that going for us. Though it's yeah. fun when things go wrong and you listen to Paul Allen. That's the that's the thing. Like you don't want your announcer to be the guy that people just hate listen to, because yeah. like Paul Allen is like that all the time. That is how he calls games. It's very very annoying. Uh, it's one of the least professional um, announcing jobs I've ever heard. Uh, having lived there for a while, he refers to players by their first names on the broadcast, like he's friends with them every mm-hmm. single time. Um, it, it, you know, if you guys, if you have people with the same first names, it gets confusing. It is just bizarre. It's such a weird way to go about it. He has a radio show every day uh, on KFAN, and people in Minnesota love it. I have listened to the beginning of that show because it just was on when I was driving my kids to school or like walking to school or whatever, um, a, a bunch of times. And he talks for like six minutes at the start of every show without saying literally, I, I'm not kidding about this, without saying anything, like just, just gobbledygook nonsense about like um, a feeling about the last Vikings game that you cannot interpret. He, he sounds like he is having a stroke. It is, <laughs> it, is, it is some of the worst radio I've ever heard in my life. And I know people like him up there, but it's like that segment of Paul Allen saying nonsense for six minutes that doesn't tell me anything about the game. Then like talking to a car dealer for like another 10 minutes about the game, doing you know an, an, an in-show ad. It's just, it's crap, it's garbage. Um, and, so uh, so Paul Allen sounds like he was the original podcaster. So uh, if you'd like <laughs> totally to help support is. this podcast, you can become ah. a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. 
That will get you question priority on all of the podcasts on the network, including the next episode of Reporting is Eligible. Five bucks a month gets you that question priority, plus some exclusive podcasts, including the Minor League Extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. Okay, we're in a new year. It's January 2nd. The Brewers are the only team not to make a Major League free agent signing to date. In some recent years, this might not have been such a big deal, but this year, 47 of Trade Rumors' top 50 free agents signed before the calendar turned, leaving only uh, Jerks and Profar, Andrew Chafin, and Michael Waka still available from that list. There are some other notable names that didn't make the list, but the pickings are pretty slim at this point. So I guess, guys, is the uh, this a roster construction problem or more of a PR problem at this point? I'd say it's more of a PR problem. It's not great, but um, I, I, this is one we talk, every every show we do. It's this makes a lot of logical sense for the Brewers. This has been a huge spending off season. Um, there's a there's a lot of good reasons for that. There's the Mets driving up costs because Steve Cohen is a you know good owner who spends money to win championships. There is the fact that baseball just got a big windfall and all the teams got thirty one million dollars and. You can say, well, the Brewers should use that from BAM, from the BAM sale, to be clear. You can say the Brewers should use that money to sign somebody, and you are reasonable in doing so. But uh, this is also sort of like inflation. You just had a lot of money money enter the game. It's going to players across the league. And uh, if you spend that money now, you'll actually get less bang for your buck than you will in the future. So the Brewers are always hyperlogical on this, and it does make some amount of sense to not improve yourself through free agency in a season where uh, essentially spending is kind of cuckoo bananas. Um, they did make the trade. I wouldn't be surprised if they make another trade or two, um, but if they just end up with sort of marginal free agent signings on the back end to fill out roster, that won't be surprising. And I think that's what happens. And they're pretty well constructed at this point. I know that they could obviously improve at some spots, but they don't have any like, things that you really have to go out and grab somebody to fill a spot for they're in halfway decent shape so yeah i think it is more of a pr problem that they're doing what they always do and um they'll be i still think a pretty good team and they may end up with zero or close to it but uh it's it's not a complete disaster to not jump into this free agent market yep i would pretty much just echo all of that i think that the big point here is that this was not a good winter to be spending money because the prices have inflated a lot from what they've been in recent years, uh, especially in the length of deals. People were giving out really long deals to people. And that's a problem in a game where the, the aging curve has continued to move to the left. You know, you, you're in a game now where players peak earlier than they used to. And that is largely probably a function of the steroid thing. Um, but also a function of players being ready younger because like development has just gotten a lot better. So I think players are ready and hit the big leagues more ready to be good players. And then I think the decline comes a little bit quicker. One, because they don't have things like steroids and greenies as available to them to extend their careers out into the, you know, the second phase of the game. And also just because like they've getting up to the big leagues at such an early age, I think puts more wear and tear, especially like on the pitchers. Um, it gets them more wear and tear early. So it just, it, the, the window has shifted earlier, which means that you are now getting, when you sign a free agent, uh, you're getting a guy who is more likely to be on the downside of their career than 
that would have been true, you know, even like five, 10 years ago. So it, it is a tricky year to do that. And yes, I, I find myself very tempted to be like, just do something so that we don't have to hear about this because I'm sick of hearing about it. <laughs> also that, yes. Like, but they're hyper rational. You're right. That that is what they do. And it, it has served them very well over time. And I don't know how many guys that have signed would have been ideal fits that also like would have made any sort of sense for them. Uh, and, and there's still a lot of other things that can happen here. So we'll, we'll get to that down the road, but yeah, I think this is mostly a, a PR one at this point and that is aggravating and irritating, but it's also not actually a, a super huge problem just because like, if you look at, uh, did you guys see yesterday that, uh, that Cream City Prospects put out Clay Davenport's 2023 numbers? No, I did not. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think it might have been during the game, so that might be why you you missed this. But uh, yep. uh, Clay Davenport has the Brewers <laughs> winning the division with 90 wins and has St. Louis in second with 82 wins. I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, uh, it, on any of the projection systems, they tend to really like the Brewers and what they've put together. So I think that should be... Uh, completely unsurprising for people when Pakoda comes out eventually. I think they'll also have the Brewers in first or near it. So, yeah. yeah. And John Judge did jump in on this discussion a little bit and pointed oh, out, you he? know, okay. yeah, he did. And pointed out that, like, you know, Adamus being projected for 5.3 uh, wins above replacement and Urias at 4.2. He's like, yeah, that, that seems kind of aggressive on, on Davenport's part here, but it's also not. Super shocking. Yelich is still up above through 3.7. I think last year he put up around like high twos. So that's not like a, a big stretch. Um, Winker is only at 2.1. That was surprising that that was kind of a, a down note from what I was expecting. I expected him to be closer to three, but um, we'll see. It, they're, they're taking a decent amount off here. I think because of the time missed, like the injuries and things are being adjusted down there. But yeah, it was, it was interesting to see that. And uh, it, it really is like, if you look at the pitching side of things, they're projecting, you know, another really good season from Burns, um, another really good season from Woodruff without the missed time, uh, Peralta to, to bounce back significantly to get back to 137 innings. And if he does that, I think they're in, you know, really pretty good shape. Um, so they have, well, how many innings did they have for Woodruff? I'm just curious. Cause uh, Woodruff I mean, 174. Woodruff, okay. Cause I was going to say Woodruff is uh, pretty well established that he he's missed a couple starts most seasons. And I mean, he, mm -hmm. yeah, he's gone out there and pitched, you know, 31 in a season, but for the most part, he's usually missed a little bit of time. Yeah, they're projecting him so for be... 31 games started, which is missing like three starts. So like one stint on the IL, basically. Yeah. Um, so I guess you'd be against uh, the Brewers doing something like the Cubs and doing their Dansby Swanson signing where you, you get you get whoever's left, you sign them for too much money and it moves the needle as little as possible compared to other guys who are available. I mean, from my perspective... I would like to see them do that on a one, maybe a two-year deal, something that isn't going to impact the future. And at this point, the players who are available aren't worthy of more than like a two-year deal anyway. So that isn't like that issue has sort of resolved itself. Like they don't have to give out money to anybody who's left for more than a year or two. Uh, so 
I, I would like to see them do that uh, if only because I do think that there is a hole and a need. If you could get a right-handed hitting outfielder who could play some center and some uh, some right field, that would help sort of balance this roster a bit at this point. And there are guys out there like Profar is obviously a guy in that case, but also like Adam Duvall uh, would also be a name that I would be interested in. Yeah. And then, you know, you can always just add pitchers. Like if, if they have a pitcher that they like, who's willing to come here for whatever situation they promise him and whatever is there, then that's always fine. Just always more arms is always better. Yeah. Um, some other stuff that came out today. Well, Major League uh, Baseball trade rumors uh, just posted that um, Craig Council's in the final final year of his four year contract. Um, I mean, aside from pointing that out, is anybody worried that he would be leaving? I mean, the, the front office is still one that he's basically worked with for a long time, even with Stearns taking his new position. I mean, I think it's likely he sticks around for as long as the Brewers will have him just because he is, uh, I, I assume being Craig Council in Milwaukee is pretty fun, um, you know, just in terms of uh, being well-regarded, be, being the best manager in team history, things like that. Um, but I would say there's there's some reason to worry a little bit just with Stearns likely moving on with Council being as successful as he is, there is surely a market for his services. And while he can be royalty for the Brewers, he can also get paid a lot of money to go to somewhere else for a little bit. And sometimes people like to live in different cities and do different things after a while. You know, things get boring. Things, uh, you know, people want new challenges. So I'd be a little bit worried. Yeah. Anytime you enter the last year of a contract, generally speaking, I I would be worried that that guy might want to do something else. So I think we should all keep it in the back of our minds that while council will likely be around that, uh, we should keep an eye out for signs that maybe other people will be poaching him. Yeah. Ryan, do you think they're currently uh, negotiating an extension? We just don't know about it. Yeah, I think that this is going to get done sometime in camp. That he's not going to go into this season as a lame duck manager. I would be pretty surprised if that happened. Uh, it just it wouldn't make any sense. He's more than earned his stripes at this point, and they would be foolish to let him go. Now, if he wanted to leave and wanted to say, follow David Stearns out the door, Paul mentioned this pre-show when we were talking about this. Like if he wanted to follow David Stearns to a big market and get a big payday. Okay. Uh, I don't know if, if that's what he wants to do, then you're not going to stop it the same way you, if, if what is is a big payday for a manager, I don't even know what the high street (laughs) managers make anymore. I mean, the the big executives have been getting close to like ten million a year. Uh, like Theo, I think when he signed with the Cubs, got like seven or eight million or something. Um, th- that's for the like the really big deal. Friedman gets a big deal like that. I'm not sure on the manager side what the top guys get. I think it's it definitely hasn't escalated the way that front office salaries have because uh, managers are more middle managers now at this point, and so you sort of I, I don't think that they're, they're valued the same way like once Mike Sosha left LA is there anybody who had that kind of power over an organization left in baseball I I can't think of anybody close to that off the top of my head a, a manager who just sort of ruled the roost for their team um, basically all the power now is invested in front offices and 
Like the thing with Council is he's worked really, really well with the front office. And you know, they all talk about this. When like Matt Arnold was talking about him at the winter meetings, he talked about how, you know, Craig is so great to work with and he's in on every every meeting and every decision. And like he is like he helps him to understand the game better. And so he he gushed basically and I guess that probably had something to do with the upcoming contract negotiations or whatever, but he could did not have a bad word to say about council and really was making the point that he is, you know, it, it's like having an extra front office guy, but in the, in the dugout. And that's, you know, obviously what teams want these days. This is what, this is the dream. This is what everybody wants as a manager like Craig council, who is smart tactically on his own, but also just very willing to work with the front office and to put their vision into place with his input. Like yeah. that's, that's sort of the dream. So I could see everybody wanting to get him, but I also think he wants to stay here, especially as long as like this window is open for the brewers. I mean, is there anybody in the organization that would be waiting in the wings behind council? Uh, I'm just curious, like, is there a successor or would it just be an open search if, you know, we go into next season and they're looking for a new manager? It feels pretty open searchy to me. I don't know about you, Paul. Yeah, I think open search. I can't think of anybody who would be uh, an heir apparent there. And you have to remember, too, that Craig Council signing up with this team as the manager happened before this front office group was hired. He was brought in in 2015 in, was it May, early May, and was given a three-year contract. It wasn't like a, hey, you're the interim manager or whatever. They gave him a, a long-term contract and said, you're the manager. And then they hired David Stearns to be the GM that offseason. So he, like, I think he has a relationship with Atanasio too, because that's that was the whole thing. Like, Atanasio said when they hired him and got a lot of flack for it that, like, we know Craig Council's great because he's been in the organization for like three years doing a bunch of different things. We know how good he is and that he's like the right man for this job. And so they didn't do an open search at that time for yeah. anybody. And that started off I, I, 2015. You can't judge anything. But by like 2017, it was becoming pretty clear that he was pretty damn good at the job. So it. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to Patreon questions. Uh, first up, Brady Steinberg. Uh, if you could only acquire one more player this offseason, either via a realistic trade or free agency, who would it be? <laughs> um, this is hard because all the good players are gone. Um, and so there, I don't think there is a, uh, a with-a-bullet answer to this question that fits into the team very well. Like, Brian Reynolds is, I guess, my answer because he wants out and can be had realistically from uh, via trade. But he also isn't plugging to the Brewers that well in terms of what they have available. Like you can get that bat in there, that's fine, but it would be a very Brewer thing to do to you know, squeeze the guy in where there's not really a position available. But ideally, you'd want like a third baseman and um, or a second baseman, and there's just not a ton of good ones left um, via any method that you want to do this. So um, he's my answer, but there there's no there's no like all star waiting out there for you at this point. It's just not happening. Yeah, a week or two ago, I would have said Dalton Varsho here in yeah, this spot. Yeah, 
because that would have worked in a lot of ways and it would have covered, you know, the backup catcher situation while giving you an actual like Dalton Varsho. Did you guys catch this was the best defensive center fielder in uh, baseball last year while also taking some games at catcher? Like, that's just unheard of. That's that's insane. I've never never heard of anything like that. That's a unique like an actual an actual good Craig Biggio. Right. It's yes. It's, <laughs> it's nice. Um, we could add that to your John Elway list of players that are in the Hall of Fame where you're like, yeah, they're trash. <laughs> I actually think he belongs in the Hall of Fame, but he is uh, one of the weirdest Hall of Famers. Um, and you wouldn't if you were making a team of Hall of Famers that you wanted to win a game, he'd probably like other than the fraud Hall of Famers, he'd be like your last guy. Uh, Bill James wrote something about him like 20 years ago, a long, long time ago, I think it was in like Slate, <laughs> about how Craig Biggio splits against elite and non-elite pitchers are, is like insane. And he basically just picked on bad pitching his entire career. So that's huh. uh, that's the story. I've heard that about A-Rod too, though obviously at a different level of hitter. But yes, yes. <laughs> but A-Rod also had that where he wasn't particularly great against very good pitching. But Right. But like Biggio was never good at, at defense at anywhere he played. He just, it was like a, he, he stood in center field. <laughs> so he got the center field benefit offensively and he played catcher. And, uh, but he's a weird one. He's, he's odd. Yeah. More second base than anything too, right? Like in his yes, prime, yeah. he was a second baseman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the Varsho thing, it turned out that that was totally unrealistic. Cause did you see what Varsho got traded for? Like a top five prospect in baseball. Gabriel Moreno was traded from uh, Toronto to uh, uh, to Arizona to get Varsho. So that turned out to be completely unrealistic because the Brewers would have had to have given up like what uh, Churio to get Var- like that just wasn't going to happen. So um, I think that at this point, it's probably like Profar and Duvall, who I already mentioned, like those are the guys they sort of fit with the roster and. They shouldn't require more than a year or maybe two in the case of Profar to sign them. So those would sort of be my picks at this point. Okay. Mark uh, Podscarby asks, is it possible that the Brewers don't want to block at bats for young guys and that's why they haven't signed a hitter? I'm assuming to get a free agent of note, they'd have to promise a certain type of guaranteed role. Would I be wrong in that assumption? I think sort of yes. Um, I, I think that it's more of that they have a lot of these young bats and they would like to get a, a, a an idea of what they actually have. Um, so, yeah, they don't want to block guys necessarily, but I also don't think that they um, are necessarily comfortable counting on them either. It's more of a the situation is dictating that we maybe take this tact and we have these guys. So let's see if anybody can actually stick um, uh, more than we we trust any individual one of them to actually come up. Um, and I do think if they could get a short-term free agent, they'd still be interested. It's just been hard to do that this offseason because you do have, you know, Churio looming if he is what we think he is. You don't want a guy signed to a 10-year contract at a position he might play. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of thing where, yeah, you don't want a guy blocking somebody like that. But I think for a year, they would be happy to do it. Um, so kind of yes, but not entirely. Yeah, and I think that this is more of an issue than people realize generally. When players sign... Uh, especially early in off seasons when they're when they have like a bunch of suitors and they're picking between suitors, they want to know that there's a clear path to, to playing time, even if they get off to like a rough start. You know, a player wants to know that they're not going to get buried. And I think that maybe this is a situation where the Brewers probably have a reputation among at least agents. They are fairly quick to pull the trigger on 
like reducing a guy's playing time when they get off to bad starts because they're always, you know, looking to just you know, kind of play the hot hand and, and go that way from among their options, right? Like they've done this sort of over and over and over again and not wanting to stick with guys as long as other teams might stick with guys. This is something I've had to adjust my own expectations on because I'm generally in my in the past have been a guy that prefers to let guys give them leash to work out of their slump. Well, the Brewers are less inclined that way than a lot of teams are, and I think it's to their benefit, but it also probably does create a, a problem here where like players who have other options are probably less likely to sign with Milwaukee knowing that they could potentially get, you know, the bench if they're not uh if they don't produce right away. So I think that is something, but yeah, I think mostly the the issue here is that they they have a lot of depth at a lot of positions and they don't have a clear-cut need especially now that they took care of the catcher thing they just don't have a clear-cut need where they say we have to have a guy to fill in this position we've talked about this a lot this offseason like the the concept of optionality they created a situation where they had a lot of options to be able to just sort of do what they felt worked best for them and i think at some point that is going to mean they're going to sign a guy but it it just hasn't happened yet. But when they do, it's probably going to be somebody that doesn't stand out. Um, I don't know. Did you guys see that uh, the effectively wild, the minor league free agent draft that they just did, that a brewer went number one overall in the minor league free agent draft? <laughs> nope. Yep. And that would be outfielder Blake Perkins, who the Brewers brought over from the Yankees and who you know, people think could possibly do something. And the Brewers signed a minor league free agent to a major league deal, which means he's on the 40 man. And so he is, he is definitely in line to potentially get playing time. And right now the Brewers only have five outfielders on their 40 man period. Uh, that's going to change pretty quickly. I, we know that, that that's not going to stay that way because you have guys like Sal Freilich and Joey Weimer knocking on the door and whoever they might also sign still knocking on the door. But as it stands today, they only have five guys, Mitchell Perkins, Tyrone Taylor, Jesse Winker, and Christian Yelich. And Winker, we think, is largely a DH. So <laughs> there just isn't a lot in the outfield. So that's why, uh, and the way that that minor league free agent draft works is that uh, you draft based on playing time. So you're hoping that that person will get either at-bats or batters faced. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if if something ends up coming of that i don't think you can plan on anything coming of it but it could potentially be something so yep. there's a lot of different ways this stuff can go um okay we got a question from lucroy suitcase i like that the brewers seem to value long-term competitiveness over a short window with that said have teams like the mets and rangers realized a new way to compete long term or will these deals come back to hurt them <laughs> yeah um, so yes and yes uh first off this isn't a new thing what both the Mets and Rangers are trying to do here is what the Dodgers did uh, about a decade ago now when they brought in Andrew Friedman and they spent a ton of money the Dodgers just poured a ton of money at the problem and built up a competitive team pretty much right away 
that's what they they were doing. But well, the Mets got a singular uh, billionaire owner to do what he wants. Yeah, well, the I believe before Cohen came in, the Dodgers owners, the Guggenheim group or whatever, well, I think were the most wealthy owners. Like I think they were. Already. But once you start talking about groups, then you talk about you know people negotiating and profits. Or when it's just one dude, sure. Nobody if he wants to, to yeah. if he wants to win, he can just say, "I want to win." And this is what I'll spend to do it. Yep. Right. Which we haven't had in baseball in a long time. No. Everybody's owned by some kind of ownership group. Which again, that's why when people get pissed about like, oh, they're just doing this for the money. It's like, yeah, yes, that's correct. Well, it was Illich, right, with the Tigers, and then he died. Mm-hmm. Well, and before that, it was Steinbrenner, but then he died. So you had guys like that, and now it's uh, the owner Jared Seid- No, Peter Peter Seidler, I think, is the owner of the um, of the Padres, and they're the, doing the best imitation of this right now. And the Mets are are weird. So the plan for both the Mets and Rangers here is while they're spending all this money, is to turn themselves into player development machines on the back end. And to to make sure that the next generation is coming up and both actually have pretty good farm systems and seem to have something in place where they could maybe turn themselves into the player dev machine going forward. That's the goal here for them is they want to spend money up front to to create a level and then start filling out their roster with players that they churn out of their farm system Uh yeah, you know, the the Rangers have been very aggressive in terms of going after starting pitching. They have both Vandy Aces and Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, and then yep. they, you know, they they've got the the highest rated high school pitcher in last year's draft as well. Like they've really been going after this, and the Mets have a lot of prospects, and they haven't been trading them really to get uh, guys because they've just been spending money instead. So that's been a big benefit to them is they haven't had to give up prospects in trade very much. Not since they did the Lindor thing right away. No, nothing to yep. add, Paul. Okay. Uh, not really, no. <laughs> well said. Mark Podscarby has a second question. Jared Carabas reported that the Brewers and Red Sox had a deal centered around Colton Wong for prospects, but Mark A vetoed the deal, instead wanting guys who could help win now. Thoughts? I mean, that's fine. Um, winning now is the Brewers' MO. It's not out of... Uh, it, it's it's what they do every year is get guys w- that are close to major league ready or major league ready with lots of control, and uh, that's just how they operate. So uh, unless it was an overwhelming um, package of younger prospects, that's that's completely within what the Brewers are always going to do under Mark A. And I'm fine with it. It's worked pretty well. Um, if you get into a situation where you are terrible and need to go through a thorough rebuild and get a lot of um, you know, high potential guys in your system. That's the kind of trade you do. The Brewers are coming off a season where they were in it till the very end, where they are in a, a period of sustained success. And until this stops working, they're going to keep doing it. So it, it's fine, and it is a good way to go about doing things. Aren't the Red Sox kind of entering a rebuild? I'm just curious why. They'd I don't. Be I don't know what to prospects. think of. I don't know what to think of the Red Sox. Honestly, they, they don't seem like they have a very good process at the moment. They're um, well into a rebuild at this point. I feel like okay. they should be done with the rebuild at this point. I think that's my problem with them. This, <laughs> um, they are they're an annoying team, um, and I have been annoyed with them since the Mookie Betts thing. So uh, they they should be better than they are. I mean, it's just kind of interesting that they'd unload prospects when they've kind of been rebuilding for a guy that would only be under control for one season. 
Like, I'm just kind of curious. What would the return even be? Just because it's prospects doesn't mean you're getting prospects. True. That are also, worth it point. would not have been remarkable yeah. prospects. That's, I think, part of this. First off, you have to take this with a huge grain of salt. This guy, the reporter that they're talking about here, uh, left his job at Barstool and has now moved on to DraftKings. Oh, wow. Okay. So, like, take this with a huge grain of salt. He's also been sort of noted. He's not so much a reporter as, like, a fanboy reporter. Like, there's... <laughs> Every time I've seen him, like he 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 talks about the Red Sox like we uh, with like we and us and that. So just take this with a grain of salt that it, there's a good chance this isn't actually true. OK, um, the second thing here is that if it was true, it does reframe the Mark Antonazio is cheap because that definitely would have made the payroll go down. And if that was truly his goal this winter, making the payroll go down, uh, this would have helped that goal. And obviously, if he did veto it, then that would make that not true. So the, there's a little bit of interesting in there, but it's probably not true. So I wouldn't I wouldn't spend a lot of time on it. Um, I, the Red Sox thing just annoys me, going back to what you guys were talking about, because they won four World Series in 15 years and then like engaged in like a bit of a rebuild. Um yeah. You like and Red Sox fans are acting like this is like a betrayal, like grow up. You you got four World Series in 15 years after not winning one. in what was it? 86 years. Um, suck it up, buttercup. Just like accept that you're rebuilding for a little bit. It'll, <laughs> it, it'll be OK. They the way that this management group works, the way that the FSG works is they get good people in place and they win stuff. They did it with. The Red Sox first. They're doing it with Liverpool. Like it, it it's going to be okay. So I th- that whole situation just annoys me because it's like, yes, yes, yes. I know you're annoyed that they traded away Mookie Betts, but that will probably end up being to your benefit um, in the long term here because the the contract he signed with the Dodgers is not going to work out very great for them. So it, I don't know if it's really to their benefit, but I mean, it's a thing they did. Like Paul said, it's been kind of an odd the way they've gone about it is odd considering the size of the market well and just the way that they generally behave yes but also they're really really good at running fsg is really good at running sports franchises so and the proof is right there they won four world series with like what three different management groups like three different general managers won those world series they hired all of them um they they uh, won with a bunch of different managers, with a collection of different players, like two totally, like three totally separate generations of players. They know what they're doing. It'll be okay. Everybody can settle down. Oh, I'm not worried. I'm not no. shedding a tear for them at all. But just <laughs> like I said, I do agree with Paul that the way they've gone about some of it is odd. It's so. odd. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Adam Post asks In order to justify the Brewers not committing any money to free agents, I've convinced myself. That's because the Brewers instead will extend at least two of Adamus, Woodruff, and Burns. How do you feel about this offseason if that's actually what ends up happening? That's fine if that is what ends up happening. I, I do think they face some roadblocks. Uh, extending people in the wake of a lot of league-wide spending gets more difficult as well. Um, you know, Agents and players see those prices out there, and those get priced into extensions too. So um, I'd say... Maybe my biggest worry about the Brewers is their ability to do just this, given the current economic conditions. Uh, if, I think if they pull it off for reasonable rates, then they've done a really, really good job. Uh, I actually am skeptical that they'll be able to. Uh, 
and I wouldn't be that surprised if we get into a bit of a dicey situation with all three. Yeah, well, then I got to butt in with Jay Google's question. What kind of evil witchcraft are the Braves doing <laughs> in order to sign all their talent? Fair. Yeah. Is this something the Brewers could even do? Yeah, I, I don't know. And when it's just one organization doing it, it's hard to say, like, copy it because apparently they're doing i don't know something different or they have something to offer i don't know well so within the brave situation this started because they were able to get two huge ripoff deals for acuna jr and for albies right so they they started by getting like insanely team-friendly deals and it sort of built from there like well they and they they signed them very early those guys did. hadn't even hit arbitration yet so right it, it's not like the braves weren't taking any risk with no. those deals. That's well, true. No, no, no. Well, those deals, no, had, no, no. They, they, those deals were no risk, Steve. Especially no the Albies deal. I, yeah. They were not risk. <laughs> the Albies deal is insane. And Yeah, but uh, I, I'm just saying, like, the risk is still really... They I know. took some risk because instead of being able to, like, dump a guy because he hasn't even hit free agency yet, like, so I think kind of locked. I think I quibble with with the, the risk language there, but I think it's just more sure. about... It's more that, you know, you are... You have more leverage over guys when they're earlier on, and you're buying out more years, uh, so you can, you know, you know, you're giving them upfront money. But you're, from the perspective of a baseball team, you're taking on essentially no risk in doing so. You're just saying you got the carrot. They're like, hey, get yourself set for life here. We'll buy out your super duper cheap years, and you know, stay a little longer. And hey, you'll be a millionaire. Like that's it. It's no I mean, the Brewers, that. the Brewers have kind of done it with Peralta. Um, Ashby just signed that extension. The I mean, Peralta is a good deal, deal is a good example. And mm -hmm. um, they bought out, you know, again, they had that leverage with him there and that's why they got it done. Um, and uh, that's why I'm also skeptical of all of these three guys being able to do it. Like they're, they're, they have much less leverage with them. They're much closer to getting big paydays. It uh, could be tricky. Yeah. I mean, the Braves did this and then they started adding to it. And then once they last winter was critical for this because they, brought in Matt Olson and then gave him pretty much, I think what was almost a market level extension. Like that one wasn't a huge discount, but then obviously the Austin Riley thing happened. And at that point, now you've sort of reached a critical mass where you can go, we have these guys all signed up for like the next six years. So do you want to join this group? And then Spencer Strider, uh, Michael Harris Jr., like all these guys, Murphy now, like once you sort of reach that critical mass, now it's like everybody wants to jump in and be like, yeah, I want to sign up to be part of this good team for the next half decade. That would be great. So uh, going back to what uh, Adam Post asked, though, because I do have something about this. I think that obviously we talked in the past about how the Woodruff extension, I don't think that has changed. I think they can come to an agreement based around we and we talked about this the um the Luis Castillo extension with the Mariners something in the 5 year 110 million dollar range i think that's still very much in the cards for for Woodruff because i don't see comparable signings that happened this winter there there haven't there wasn't a guy who was really much like Brandon Woodruff who signed this winter that you could go okay that that makes sense as a comp right to to try to figure out where this matches so I think Woodruff still is there. If they want to do that, I think you can probably make a deal, something like that work. Um, the the Adamus one is more interesting because we did have a bunch of shortstops signed this winter. And I actually think that if you look at what he is versus what Dansby Swanson is, I think there's a cop to be made there because uh, 
Adamus doesn't quite have the track record that Swanson has in terms of like his best year is not as good as what uh, the best year of Swanson was this year. But I think that you can also say that he has more upside. He's a few years younger and there's more like untapped potential there to be a little bit better. So I think if you start with the Dansby Swanson signing and then look at the fact that he still has two years of control. So that would knock some money off the top end there in terms of what he would make. Yeah. Like 25 million ish, I think is, is about right. So that gets you down into like the 150 range. If you could get him to sign for like 140, seven, like seven years and 140, I think that could be something that both sides could look at and be like, yeah, this makes sense for us. So I, I think there is something to do. And just in general, yes, I, like Paul, would totally be in on this. This would be great if they yep. could do this, along with the other things they did do this winter, which I think did sort of improve the team. But we have a question about that coming. So, well, and there's also just the thing that, like, he has been really vocal about wanting to stay in Milwaukee. He wants to sign an extension. Like, this isn't just the normal, like, when he's asked a question, he says, Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to stick around. No, he's like, I love Milwaukee. I want to be here. I want to be on this team long term. He does so, seem quite hyped about it. So, yeah, he that. does. So and that that I think means a little something in terms of like the willingness to take a little bit of a haircut on the, the price. So I always enjoy how Ryan doesn't even consider signing Burns to an extension. Here, here's the best best I'm, of the players and he just he just won't even consider it even i'm actually if, with him on that I, you I, wouldn't do burns even though he's like by far the best of the three i think i might i think i would theoretically do that um i just don't think they will and i think he is overrated compared to woodruff i think he's gonna get um way 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 more money than he probably should there's there's warts in burns resume i think that's my big thing i think for what he's going to make for the Cy Young, for being a really good pitcher, there are there are red flags on that guy that uh, I would be hesitant to give big money to. And what I mean is, it the years that scare you more with Burns? I mean, I would yes, but I also think he could regress to something more like average pretty easily. Um, he he's got a little hater in him with just the hitability of his pitches when they're not working right. Like that home run problem is legit. And uh, I don't think it takes a big step back, a big arm rotation issue, a big uh, arm slot regression to put him back into like very average territory pretty quickly. But wasn't this past season like part of the regression because his home run, the number of home runs he gave up, shot up from his side young year. Yeah. But you still got a lot of the production. I'm just saying, like, he already kind of had a little bit of regression in there. I mean. And it took his value down by a couple wins, Steve. Like, it took him from being like. He was still like a top 10 pitcher in baseball. Right. But he wasn't a top two pitcher in baseball the way he was. Aside from all of that, uh, first of all, I don't think he regressed back to being crap burns, which we have also seen. But I do wonder what last season looks like if the ball is not dead ball for the Brewers for the whole season. And if baseball brings a live ball back and that starts to creep up again, that becomes a real problem for him. Yeah, I agree with that. And also just I don't think there's a deal that makes sense for the Brewers that he should accept. He should be looking for like eight years and 30 plus million dollars a year. And the Brewers shouldn't do that. So that's yeah. that's my main thing here is it's just like he he should be asking for more money than the Brewers should give him. How many years at $30 million would you give him? Like how many years? 
Like three? Like three, yeah. Okay. This is also a, a Brewers problem, not a Burns problem, but he pitches five innings a game. And that's how they operate, and it's how they get the most value out of their starting pitchers. But, like, uh, I want, I do, I also wonder if he's starting to do the more t- times through the lineup thing, if he kind of gets worse as well. He was more six this year. Yeah, he was more six. He okay. went deeper than Woodruff. Um, yes. But that, that's also more of a common thing around baseball. It is more common not thing just a Burns baseball. thing or Brewers thing. So, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But maybe they can get him for three extra years, and that'll be, <laughs> it'll make everybody happy. Uh, Brad Westens asks, will the Brewers make a free agent signing or extension immediately after the podcast <laughs> recording or the following day? Probably at this point. Yes, they will. It'll be an extension, right? We don't think they'll sign a free agent. Uh, I'm not making any predictions. And so since I'm not making any predictions, uh, they will. It'll be like uh, another defense a guy who can't play defense anywhere and is a hit only place with no person with no spot on the roster that they'll force to play like random second base for no reason so you know <laughs> like a moustakis kind of thing that's what it'll be who's, uh, who's out there yeah it, <laughs> it'll be moustakis yeah. true true it'll be trey mancini playing second base <laughs> there you go that's exactly right <laughs> yeah so uh yeah it, it's coming there's there's something coming my guess at this point Extensions, yes, there have been some extensions. The Murphy one just happened while we were on hiatus for the holidays. But extensions are much more common once camp opens and then into like the first month of the season. That's the time when this stuff is going to get done, is that window. It could happen before that, but I would be kind of surprised. Okay, and PJ Wessel says, here's to another year of fantastic podcasts from you all. So good job, guys, for entertaining everybody. Uh, The expectation is that stolen bases will increase with the rule changes. Will the team leader in stolen bases be a new uh, prospect or newly acquired brewer or an old man that's previously been on the team? It'll be a prospect. Um, The reason it'll be a prospect is because the team leader last year was Yelich, who uh, is not getting faster, is getting slower, and I don't think we'll continue to get on base at the clip. He's still Christian Yelich, against all odds, still gets on base at a ridiculously high clip for no good reason, uh, unless he turns things around. I think that will start to go down. He had 19 last year. Second on the team last year was Colton Wong. He's gone. The third on the team last year was Jace Peterson. He's gone. And um, at that point, you're getting into Garrett Mitchell, who is tied with McCutcheon and Adamas at eight. And even though Garrett Mitchell can't hit or get on base very well, he got eight stolen bases in like no time at all. Uh, there are other fast guys who will also come up and play. It'll be one of the young kids, 100%. Yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. It'll be Terang. It'll be Mitchell. You yeah. know, a lot of it's going to come down to playing time, I think. Yep. Will this be like 1992 again? <laughs> My uh, favorite Brewers team ever. Uh, I do wonder if it takes the league. Like, everybody is speculating that Spatolan Bases are going to go way up, and they've tested these changes, and that is what has happened. I do wonder if there'll be a little bit of a learning curve to get stolen bases kind of fully ramped back up because teams aren't really used to them anymore. And do them as super risky. Maybe not. Everybody's geniuses now, so maybe they'll just tell all their fast guys to run all the time. But uh, I, I, I kind of am a little skeptical that it's going to be like this brand new form of baseball. But we'll see. I could be wrong. Well, we do know that teams have been taking the go time and moving it down in terms of what the expectation is because yeah. pitchers don't have the ability to throw over as much anymore. So there's going to be less of a, a of a of a window, especially once a guy has already thrown over to first base once. Uh, there's going to be less of an expectation that uh, that 
the uh, the pitcher has to be fast to the plate to avoid like if, or they have to be slow to the plate. So a pitcher can be faster to the plate than what they would have had to have been last year for players right, to be right. able to steal. Sorry. Okay. Are we excited for this? I think it'll be I fun. I guess what are the feeling with the rule changes? A lot of times they do rule changes and it's like, that's stupid. But I mean, this is something. Stolen bases are fun. Um, I, I'm excited for them to make some kind of return. I like stolen bases. They're good. Yeah, Add I, another element to the game. And I don't think we're going to see a massive shift because of the reduction in shifting. We're not going to see that. But it will hurt. It will help certain players. There's going to be certain players that it's going to help more than others. Rowdy Tillis is near the top of the list, by the way. So that's the one. lack of shifting as far as helping in terms of where he hit the ball last year yeah. without having that short uh, right field guy out there. Now uh, he hit that to that guy more than just about anybody in baseball last year. He did. So he isn't going to have some more room to, to work this year. But I don't think it's going to be a drastic change. I think it's going to be more of a minimal change. I, I said this on Twitter that I think it's the the variance, the year-to-year hit luck variance is greater than what anybody's change is going to be here. So you'll have some players that like stack both together where they have both a hit lucky year and they have balls getting through the shift that wouldn't have in the past. And so yeah. you'll see a few guys with like big batting average jumps and people will go, oh, see, the shift thing is really working. And then the next year it will, you know, regress back down again for them. So, but hopefully that's our guys. <laughs> both both Telez and Yelich, I think, stand to benefit from this. So mm-hmm. it would be nice. Yep. Okay, we got a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, first ones from... Are we, what are we going by? The the Twitter handles, or should I just say Nick asked this since we know who it is? Yeah, it's Nick. You could just say it's, it's Nick. Nick. Uh, is the roster as it stands today better or worse than the opening day 2022 roster? I think it's close. Um, on, hater is a big deal, and we should not, in our previewing of the Brewers, uh, un, underrate how big it is to not have him at the back of the bullpen. Problems and whatnot aside, uh, he is a high-war, best believer in the game kind of player. But their improvement of the catcher is likely pretty enormous. Um, so I, I think it's close. Uh, also, Wong leaving not is a big deal, too. I would say they're slightly worse at this point. Uh, but they're not like so much worse that they're not contenders. Well, they got a little bit of potential, too, with the youth. They yes, did, they, they did. do. They are. And a, a depth of pitching, I think, that they didn't have last year. I think that was one of the issues they had last year that hurt them was their depth on the pitching side was less than it had been in recent years. And I think they went a long way to fixing that by all the different moves that they've made this winter. So I think that that part of it helps. I would say that it's almost exactly the same. And I would expect to see, like, what did Pakota have them last year? 88 wins going into the season. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would expect to see almost exactly the same projection this year. So I'm not, I I think it's almost, yes, you're, you're losing the hater of it all, but you're gaining some depth and some other things. And yeah, I, I think it's just about the same roster (laughs) and you know what? That shouldn't shock us because really it is, except for some moves around the edges, it is largely the same roster. They're bringing back most of the same guys. Uh, Jeff Arnold asks, have been thinking about this, and if they don't uh, up the payroll, 
with free agencies, uh, extensions. My read is Ananasio selling the team in the next 24 months. Do you guys agree that we're looking at new ownership in the near future? I've seen some rumblings that are, I would just say, rumors as well. Um, and I don't think that is necessarily indicative of um, of a sale coming. I think it is mostly a reaction to the current economic um, landscape in baseball. But I wouldn't be that surprised if that gets on the table pretty soon. Um, just, just speculation, but once people start making some noise about stadiums and upgrades and things like that, and um, Mark's on the team for a while, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got that on the horizon in the not distant future. But this, I don't think, indicates that at all. Yeah, we're we're approaching twenty years here in yep. what mm-hmm. two years? Yeah, he the his first season in charge was. Uh, 2005 yep so i i don't think it's likely if i had to bet i think that he still owns this team his family still owns this team in 10 years like if you gave me even that big of a time horizon i would still say yes is more likely than no 10 years down the road but yeah i i think that any any ideas that like they were hurting financially or something that gets put to rest by the fact that he did just you know buy a soccer club (laughs) <laughs> so he did buy Norwich. So um, shouts to Josh Sargent. Um, so, yeah, like I'm not uh, I, I don't think it's very likely that he he leaves here. And I also don't think that this is indicative of his wishes so much as this is just like the way that the this management group, the the Stearns Arnold management group wants to run the team is very cautiously financially. I, I don't think that this is indicative of what like Atanasio's like huge wishes are. And if we believe that report from the Barstool guy, like he he <laughs> wasn't even, you know, asking for the payroll to go down. So yeah, whatever. It's always good to have a legitimate business, right? <laughs> uh, so we got some new patrons this week. Ryan, if you wanna go through the list. We do. Um Welcome to uh, Michael McNamara and Tyler Gibson, who joined up since uh, the new year. They both joined up yesterday, so thank you to uh, to you two. And for the uh, the guys from last year, we have David S., uh, who did not get more specific than that. So David S. and uh, the replacement level fan. And this one feels <laughs> like an actual baseball one name wise, right? Like that feels yeah. very baseball-y. So we finally have a pseudonym for a baseball. Uh, listener as opposed to all the football listeners so that's nice i i don't know football's football's catching on with that stuff so it's it's a lot more common than it than it used to be right paul absolutely yes but they don't couch it that same way they don't talk about replacement level right like that's not it, how that's they... a ba- that's a baseball person yeah like we, we're getting more stat nerdy but replacement level is not really a concept in football almost all the advanced stats are scaled to average there's PFF tries to force their war on everybody every once in a while, and it always is broken to some extent. We need like a Quoba fan or whatever. The what are, what are the stats? <laughs> Quoba's mine. That's right. The Cubops. Cubops too. Yep. I actually just was running it for. Uh, I'm running it for the Peyton Manning Ryan Leaf season right now to see what it thinks of Ryan Leaf. So, did um, you run it for Kirk Cousins yesterday? Oh, I, Kirk was actually pretty good in uh, in college. For Kibops and Quoba. Oh, I just meant I just meant the, the for one game. Team. Yeah, for you one game. You don't need advanced stats to just just game. just to <laughs> revel in it even more. 
the eye test. Look how bad he was. <laughs> Man, he was awful. Just yeah. terrible. But Kurt was super annoying in college. I mean, we we dealt with that. Like he, he was, was good. Yeah, he was a, a huge pain in the ass. Wasn't he the quarterback of that team that beat Russell Wilson in 2011? I he, think was. he was. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And I, well, honestly, one of the best. I think it was a fourth rounder. Like one of the best fourth round quarterbacks ever to play. So before we go here, I do want to uh, mention that there is a new uh, minor league extra out for everybody came out uh, end of the month there. And James and I went and did a deep dive. I don't know if either of you have listened to this yet, but we went back and redrafted players from the Atanasio era. So every draft since 2005 and you could take and replace anybody who was taken in the next 10 picks with uh, the player that they took. So you could swap out the, the, the first pick was uh, taking Trey Turner in 2014 instead of Cody Medeiros. Like, and that was a pretty obvious swap. Like, <laughs> go ahead and just do that. Oh, um, who'd have thunk? Yeah. But we did get into some some interesting stuff. We re-examined the uh, Ryan Braun, the very first draft pick made under Atanasio, because uh, there were some other guys, and I ended up taking somebody else instead of him. And well, that was a monster draft. Uh, it was, it, though, it doesn't look like there's going to be any Hall of Famers from it now. It, at one point, it looked like it was going to have like four or five Hall of Famers, and everybody had a bad 30s. And Ryan Braun also, you know, got cut. So yeah. there was that. But uh, Braun I also was trying to have a better 30s. He was trying. <laughs> he was. It um, was all. I also mentioned in that uh, podcast, Steve, you'll be interested. I mentioned you by name because. Uh, talking about the idea of that they should have traded more guys back in that era. Cause we did a whole sliding doors thing here and looked at all the different ways that history could have been different with these picks. Like, okay. So if you, if you take somebody instead of this guy, that means this player is now expendable. So you could trade him and you could do something like that. And I mentioned the fact that you were always saying they need to trade some of these hitters that they have for pitching in like the 2007, 2008 era. Uh, and they never did. And that is largely why they ended up with, you know, having to go and make trades like the CC Sabathia and the Zach Greinke trades where they're they're giving up, you know, prospects for uh, short term rentals instead of, you know, getting a guy who can stick around for a while and be part of that core. So I figured you would find that particularly interesting. So it was it was a got, fun exercise. It's what, it's what got harder court to block me. It is what got Hodricourt to block you. <laughs> it it is. is. I was complaining because I, I thought they should have been flipping Corey Hart at the time. Yes, that is. Good Lord. That is exactly how that happened. Though that was after that was post Corey Hart, like his resurgence in 2010. No, it was like 2012. It was. Yeah, it yeah. was 2012. It was okay. when his contract was was almost up. So. And he was basically broken <laughs> down. And it's Corey Hart's a good reminder of like when you have a tall player, it can go really fast for them. Like they can well, but he was still having a good 2012 because that's what kind of kept him afloat after Fielder left. But then he got hurt and well, never resurfaced after that. No, I think but it was worth t- anything after. Corey Hart was just quintessential tall guy, super fast. Yeah. And then the knees went, then he could still hit. And then the knees cascaded into everything else and bats slowed down. And that was it for him. And the yeah. Brewers didn't have him sign to a long-term $360 million contract like the Yankees yep. have Aaron Judge. So have fun with that, exactly. Yankees. Yep. So And Tom Hardicourt and I are now best friends. So it all worked out. Mm. You are besties now. Have you have you been enjoying the post-retirement Tom now that you're getting to see it the way the rest of us have enjoyed that? <laughs> I have. Yeah. Like I said, we're, be- we're best friends for a reason. Uh, 
hey, remember that you can uh, leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. And it's been a little bit. Yeah, go do it. There's, in a while. there's a PJ Fleck fan at the top. Somebody go fix that. Yeah, we need, yeah, we need like a fickle fan or something like that to yeah. write something positive in there. <laughs> Uh, and while you're there, hit subs- hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. You know what?